way. So if you're a note taker, that's the one note that I have that if you walk away with anything, God's victory comes in the most unexpected way. I'm going to read chapter 5. It's 14 verses, but I'm also going to add three verses from chapter 4 to give us a little bit of a backdrop as to what's taking place in this text. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, if you have your Bibles, through chapter 5, verse 14. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and forever, the forever, ever, the 24 elders fell down before the one seated on the throne and worshiped the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and they say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Because you have created all things. And by your will they exist and and they were created. Everything in all of creation was made by God for God. And every person in this room whose heart is beating right now, whose lungs are breathing, you were made by God and for God. And for forever on top of forever, you will make much of God in one of two ways. As someone who is in right relationship with Him because you've trusted in what God has done for you in the person of Jesus. Or as someone who will receive the eternal justice of God that shows that God is righteous and we, for whatever reason, chose not to trust in His righteousness. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, that God, seated on the throne, a scroll written on both sides, and it was sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. I wept and wept because no one opened the scroll or even to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Your Bible may read, Weep no more. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw one like a lamb slaughtered standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders, they fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll. And to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and every creature on earth and every creature on the sea and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever, the four living creatures. They said, Amen. And the elders, they fell down and they worshipped Him. Verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of the one seated on the throne, a scroll written 
with writing on both sides, and it was sealed with seven seals. In the Old Testament, that's the front part of the Bible, not the back that we're happening to be in today. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel is shown a scroll with writing on both sides. That rarely happens. For most of the time, when we see scrolls, they are one-sided. This is a scroll that is on both sides. The King James Version of the Bible says it's a book. It's not really a book, a scroll. It's this rolled-up thing. Rolled up together and it's bound with a seal. And this one has writing on each side. The scrolls that we would find, the Dead Sea Scrolls, for example, when you would unroll it, it's around 24 feet long. We're not sure how long this one happens to be, but it's full of some pretty important information. On the front and on the back, according to the Ezekiel, it has lamentation and mourning and woe. This is a horrific thing to be written. It seems like... Uh, the, the Ezekiel laments in this passage in chapter 2 like a king. He laments as if a king has died. That's how, that's how grief-ridden he is by the idea of what this scroll happens to say. The idea that the world that Ezekiel lived in was broken. And that there were things that were wrong with the world. Uh, friends, I, I just, I'm thankful that you're here today. And I just need you to know, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to realize that there's something that's really wrong with the world. I don't know if you've watched the interactions of our world lately. We just can't seem to get along. And that's taking it lightly. We can't get along about politics. We can't get along about wars. We can't get along about race. We can't get along about anything whatsoever. Can't we all get, just get along? No. We're terrible at getting along. And when you, Ezekiel reads through this letter, it seems like all that God has set in motion in the creation of the world has been put into place, and it seems like all that God intended has been lost. Now that's an idea that is deeply rooted in the very beginning of Scripture. Genesis chapter 1. We see God creates the world, and by chapter 3, we've really messed things up. Adam and Eve have this weird interaction with an apple while they're naked, and things go bad. When you read through, this, when you read through a text like this, we're considering the wrongness of the world, and how broken it happens to be, and how God, He's still righteous, He's still just, He's still holy. His heart still cares for people that he created and the world that he's put in place. But because of what sin is and how it has infected and infested everything, we are far from him. He won't accept sin. He can't accept sin. It is contrary to his very character. Ezekiel sees that the world is broken. The New Testament tells us that the world is broken. Your Twitter tells you that the world is broken. For all the happy images, your Instagram tells you the world is broken. It's all broken. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, well, who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Because that's evidently a big Bible deal to open the scroll and break its seals to deal with the brokenness of the world. Who can make right what has gone wrong? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look into it. It's really popular these days for us when we're we, meaning humanity, when we're buying Christmas presents, 
maybe you've transitioned into the experience because you look into your child's room and realize they just don't need another thing. We did the experience route this year. We got our, I mean, we got them a few things, basketballs, because our kids needed more basketballs. They only have 12. We took them on a trip to this place called Kalahari in the middle of December. That's an indoor water park. Because there is no way on earth that I would ever go to a water park in the summer. That is a picture of the brokenness of the world to go into a facility like that. But we, we go to Kalahari, and the way that it's healthing there, and I've got my group on that they wouldn't accept, and then I, you go into the water park, you have to walk through an area to get to the water park, because you just can't jump into the water park, because that's prepaid, and they don't want you to worry about the prepaid things, they want you to add additional things. And between your hotel room and the water park, there is every game that has ever been created. There is also a roller coaster there that I'm not sure it had numerous infections on it. I could just tell, just naked eye. Games for you to play, and you have to buy a card to play the games, and you're, you're swiping the card to play the games, and if you were doing well at the game or not well at the game, it would give you these tickets back. And after you've gotten the tickets back, your, your kid looks at their tickets and think they've done such a great job and 27 tickets and I'm going to go to the counter, I'm going to exchange this for the large fluffy animal at the top. You go and you meet with a 14-year-old who for whatever reason has given their life to this place for the Christmas season. Your little child, the 6-year-old, as cute as you think that they happen to be, he holds the tickets up and that 14-year-old, while your child holds... 162 tickets thinking that he's going to be able to get whatever because he doesn't really know how numbers work. He points at the thing on the top shelf and they tell him he doesn't have enough tickets. So that means that you as a parent had to reload the card and go back and you've got to shoot the ball again. That's a lefty. You've got to shoot the ball again and try and get more tickets and you just can't get more tickets. You can't get enough tickets because they want 50,000 tickets for the thing. What a horrific price. You don't have that many shots in you, friend. You can't whack the mole that much. To be short of tickets. Who's worthy? Well, these 24 elders that this talks about, there's the idea that it's apostles of the New Testament and that it's the leaders of the tribes in the Old Testament. You've got these various people from throughout church history that may be there trying to open the scroll. Who is worthy? And you've got some of the biblical figures that we're really familiar with. Maybe Father Abraham, many sons, many sons, Father Abraham, I am one of them, so are you, right arm. That Abraham comes up and he tries to open the scroll and he just can't. He's unworthy. He doesn't have enough tickets. And Moses, the Old Testament picture of Jesus that he happens to be, he comes up and he doesn't have enough tickets. He's unworthy to open the scroll. And you get to King David, who we're really familiar with because he killed a giant, but he did other stuff too. He can't open the scroll. New Testament people, Peter, James, John, Mary, they can't open the scroll. What about the people that I've heard about? What about Billy Graham? Could he open the scroll? No, Billy Graham knew that he couldn't. That's why he preached as much as he did. What about the Bible guys like who made sure we could read it in English, like Martin Luther and... John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli, they're short too. They don't have enough tickets. And now we're just talking high-tier people. What about people like me? Definitely not enough tickets. 
short. In this scene that encompasses all of the history of history, there is a scroll in the hand of God that needs to be opened to deal with the broken lament and woes of the world, and no one can fix it. And John is sitting there, and as he sits there, he begins to weep, the Bible says, because we should weep over how broken the world happens to be. It should hurt us that no matter how much we try to put this thing to right, it is not made right. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Who can set this in motion? No one in heaven or under the earth or on the earth was able to open the scroll or even look on it. Verse 4 in the CSB that I read from, I wept and I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to even look into it. He weeps because he sees that the world is bound for destruction. Then one of the elders said to me, Stop crying. Do not weep. Weep no more. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And he hears there is a lion. Lions are known to be powerful. Lions are never depicted as weak. Mufasa. Simba. Aslan. Powerful pictures in our fictional accounts. It's steeped in Old Testament teaching. In Genesis chapter 49, we're told that the one who would be God's promise was going to come from the tribe of Judah. And right here comes that lion. It says that he is the root, however, which is a little bit different because when you read in Genesis 49, it says the shoot's coming. We're talking about Jesus. Spoiler, this is a Jesus story. And as you look at it, we're talking about Jesus who is the root of David. Which means that Jesus is the one from whom everything else came. He's the root of David. He's royalty. There's a scepter. This is all kingly language. Isaiah tells us that the lion's wisdom is in dealing with justice and righteousness. All that needs to be made right, the lion has the ability to deal with it. To fix what's broken, but not just with duct tape. He's going to make something that is shattered new. The lion will be everything that you expect a lion to be. Regal, powerful, royal. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, the lion roar and we should plug our ears. Then he looks. And he's almost caught off guard. Because when he looks, there's not a lion. He has heard there is a lion. But the lion manifests as a lamb. I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne 
and the four living creatures and among the elders. Four living creatures, many believe to be symbolic for all of the creation, all of the created order. And standing in their midst, at the center of it all, is a slaughtered lamb. A lamb as though he had been slain. He has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, that tying back to the justice and the righteousness and the wisdom that we reference from Isaiah with the lion. All of that is right here in a lamb with death marks. Have you ever had your mind set on something only for it to not be what you expected? A lion and a lamb are incredibly different animals. They are drastically different. A lion represents power and conquering. A lamb represents vulnerability, death, and sacrifice. But for us to understand this passage, this has to resonate for us. For the lion to conquer, the lamb has to die. The hope of the world is that God would allow himself to die in our place. And for those of us who hear a passage like this, I would be in error not to say this. Every one of us deserve the wrath of a lion. And God has offered you the mercy of a lamb. We love violent language. We use it all of the time. We are a violent language people. We like to talk as if things are going to be dealt with in this definitive violent way. Someone does a good job. Man, you crushed it. We even use that language to talk about church. Jared, when I see him this week, if I'm not careful, I'll tell him, Jared, when you did, the band killed it this week. Jared, you really, you nailed it with with your choices of songs. The victory that Jesus sets in place for us is not one that takes place Because of any of our crushing, any of our nailing, or any of our killing, the victory that Jesus secures for us is because he was crushed in our place, nailed to a cross, and killed for us. The hope of the world is a slaughtered lamb who has not lost his regalness, nor has he lost his royalty. He stands powerfully defiant to the ways of this world as God manifests. A lot of our current church language is cloaked in this idea of an altar. And you can kind of see that when he says, A lamb as though he had been slain, or a slaughtered lamb like this translation reads. In my church tradition, and in many of yours, I would imagine, the idea of the altar is part of the whole deal. We talk about altars. We talk about how certain things are altars. Maybe you would say the front of this room was an altar or that you would have an altar call. Well, this is a stage. That's what this is. These are lights. In the Bible, humans and God, they interact at an altar. At the altar, you communicate with God. At the altar, you make an exchange with God. At the altar, you gain the favor of God. 
When we read through this text and we consider the whole of what the Bible teaches about altars, we are no longer people who meet God at a place. We meet God in a person. And that is the person of Jesus because Jesus Christ is our altar. The sacrificial lamb of God invites us to know him. But this is not an invitation to know death. It's an invitation to trust that his death gives us life. John knows the lamb. John recognizes the lamb. Though shocked to see a lamb, he'd see he, it's, it's a lamb. But he's already talked about the lamb. In John chapter 1 verse 29, he stands at the... Uh, rather, in John chapter 1 verse 29, he remembers the behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When he sits at the foot of the cross, he mentions that at the cross he watched this lamb die. He sprinted to an empty grave of this lamb. And when he looks at Jesus here in this symbolic depiction of what the heavenly throne room is, he doesn't just see a lamb. He sees a lamb that is slaughtered. He sees a lamb as though he had been slain. Now think through this with me, friends. You, you have been around church situations long enough to know how Jesus died. We, we know that he was crucified on a cross. Those marks are still there. We know that there were marks on his feet. That his side has been pierced. That there are scarring on his head. We know these things if we have any idea whatsoever as to the story of Jesus. The marks are still there. And the, those marks, they're going to be there forever. Why would God allow those marks to be there forever? Because Christ in his death on the cross, deals with our sins forever. Forever and forever and forever. And this lamb goes. This regal, royal, powerful, majestic, though slaughtered lamb goes and takes the scroll out of the right hand of the one who is seated on the throne, God on the throne. Because the lamb is God the Son. There was one who was holding the scroll. The only one who could take the scroll is one who is worthy to hold the scroll. There's a lot of conversation right now if you follow any type of anything on any type of platform whatsoever as to what Christianity is and why Christianity happens to be that and how Christianity functions. And there's a lot of noise there. There are things that are central to our faith that we cannot wash away. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, you are not a Christian. That's not to cause you to feel guilty or anything. That is central to our faith that we believe that Jesus is God. If you don't believe that Jesus died for your sin in your place, you're not a Christian. No matter how many things you've gone through or how many things you've attended, these are core elements of the Christian faith. And this lamb right here is Jesus. And he is worthy. He took the scroll, the four living creatures, verse 8, and the 24 elders, they fell down. Before the Lamb, this isn't what they expected. This is what they got. But they're definitely going to worship because he's doing all of the things that the lion could do. He's just showing them himself as a slaughtered lamb. 
Each one had a harp and golden bowls with incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. This incense, it's the prayer of the saints. The Bible says that. I don't have to explain that. The heavenly finding, its source in the earthly. All of our prayers about what is broken and about what this world needs to be undone and set right, that's all that's been prayed for. These ordinary, humble, consistent prayers of the people of God, they are sweet-smelling, heavenly aroma right here before this glorious Lamb. And they begin to sing this song to this Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll. Why would they sing that? Because it resonates with the idea that I am not worthy to deal with that. And you are worthy to open its seals, and I cannot deal with that. Because you were slaughtered, dying my death, and you were purchased, that, that you purchased me from God by your blood, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign on the earth. That's song one. The next one, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and all the living creatures and the elders. Their number was countless, thousands, thousands, plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Because I, I, so I didn't have to be. To receive power and riches and wisdom. And strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven and every creature on earth and every creature on the sea and everything in them say blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Three songs in this heavenly scene. Three songs that we've been invited to be part of. Three songs that we've been called by God to sing alongside of Him. Three songs. And the four living creatures said, Amen, so be it. That's the way it is. That, that's a really heavy word, and we say it a lot, and you say it when you eat meals, if you remember to say it when you eat meals. And you say it before you go to sleep, if you don't go to sleep before you finish your prayers. I'm there. It's God declaring this is the way it is. What does that mean for us? This is the way it is? That try as we might, we cannot correct the brokenness of the world on our own. You can't correct the brokenness of the world because you and I can't even correct you and I. But what God has set in motion from the beginning before there was a beginning is that the Lamb would be slain in our place and offer us to walk with Him. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. The culmination of all things is that every person who has trusted in Jesus and all of creation will declare worthy is the Lamb. And I would pray and I would invite you to declare the same thing. I would pray that you would celebrate the same thing. Next week for us is a celebration service. As a church family, we're going to get to baptize a few people who are member, who are wanting to be members of our church, who are declaring that they have believed in the person of Jesus. They have trusted in his death and resurrection. And if you are present here today and you've never trusted that Jesus' death dealt with your sin and that his life is the only life that you can have for eternity, if you've not believed that, we want you to celebrate that alongside of us. We want you to declare that you believe that Jesus is Lord and King and everything that this passage says because the slaughtered lamb has offered to deal with your sin forever. 
I would invite you as someone who may have said to a pastor at some point that you're going to think about the Super Bowl with him. (laughs) That's great. I'm glad you would. But I want you to know that you've been invited to something better. Because when we invite you to be part of what God has done for us in Jesus, we're inviting you to a family. And this family that gets together here every Sunday, they do a really good job of loving each other and caring for each other and being present for one another and being there when someone's sick and being there when someone dies and being there when someone is in need alongside of their spiritually stagnant situation. They're really, really good at that because they put their hope in that the Lamb has been slain and He has called us to live in sacrificial ways. So if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, I'm going to walk us through a prayer. You hear me say this, and I tell my folks this all the time. Prayers don't save people, Jesus does. I just want you to have handles because I'm going to ask for a follow-up conversation. As to what God did in your heart when you were thinking through these things. So I invite you to bow your heads with me this morning. I want you to pray this or something to this effect. If you have never placed your trust in Jesus, Jesus, I need you to deal with my sin because I cannot. Jesus, I want you to save me from my sin and I want to walk with you. So Jesus, here's my sin, which leads to death, and I want the life that you offer in exchange. If you prayed that, or something like that, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room, and I would like just to talk to you about what it means for you to place your trust in Jesus as the one who has dealt with sin forever when we trust Him. Father, we do trust you in this moment. And I pray, Jesus, that even now that you have saved people who are far from you through your death in our place so that we could have life in this world and the next. And that we would continually be able to put hope in you here because that hope will be fulfilled there. Again, if you need me, I'm in the back 